Hey everyone, before we kick off today, I have to share some big news with you. My book is here, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, and it's available now via the links in this week's episode description for pre-order. I've written this guide to hold your hand as you navigate preparing for birth. It has my knowledge of over a decade in midwifery to make sure that you are properly equipped with honest, reliable and evidence-based information about your body, baby and birth so that a positive and empowering journey that you deserve at this important time can be achieved. Click the link in the episode description to get your copy ordered now. Pre-orders are super important and your support in helping me on my mission to empower women means the world. I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast. This week I am joined by a woman on a mission to improve the life of other women. Claire Bourne on Instagram as Claire Bourne Physio is a specialist pelvic health physiotherapist and author of her new book Strong Foundations. Claire is doing incredible work through her book, social media page and clinics to raise the lid on pelvic health issues and break down the barriers to accessing help so that we can all run, jump and dance with confidence and free from symptoms. So welcome Claire, welcome back because you came on the podcast right at the beginning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, it's lovely to be back. You've had feel like so many series now covering so many amazing topics, which is brilliant. We're now, we're in like 130 something episodes now, which feels wow. insane, insane, wow, okay. but it's, um, it's great to get you back talking about mm. pelvic floor again, because we know that it's something <laughs> we really need to talk about more. Really need to. Yes, absolutely. I feel like you, I feel like it's all that's talked about, but obviously in anyone's echo chamber, that is all you hear about. And yet I still meet, and I know you will still meet so many women who are just like why is no one telling us this and I'm like we're really trying um but which I've also seen really positively I'd say in the last year or two is more women coming through pregnancy just saying you know what I don't have any problems at the minute but I'd really like to keep it that way and actually I want to understand what I'm doing because I've been told I should do this and I just don't know what I'm meant to be doing and I'm like that's amazing because you know so many of us might invest in a PT who's prenatal trained or invest in all these magical things that are going to make our baby sleep and yet we forget that actually if we invest a little bit and often women come to me once I'm not asking them to come 10 times in pregnancy come once and actually they're like wow I actually get what I'm meant to do how I'm meant to prepare for birth and yeah I, I think we're in a really exciting time of women saying enough like I, I want to look after me and I want to know what to do yeah and you know what we deserve better like we, we deserve do. to invest that in our bodies because the changes yes. they do in pregnancy are oh, I know. incredible. So Amazing. We, deserve, we deserve it. And therefore we need more people like you writing books, which is so overdue, Claire. My goodness, we need oh, this in our lives. Um, I know we need and more. And speaking, speaking about pelvic health. And you've mm. been on a whirlwind, haven't you, recently? Because you have been navigating life, putting your words <laughs> of wisdom down onto paper for us. Are you? How are you? Are you a little bit exhausted by everything? <laughs> I mean that really I feel like you know when you plan your wedding and you're in that kind of like slight high of like 
this is so much this is so exhausting but also like I wouldn't change it for the world a bit like early motherhood I think as well um so yes I'm doing well but yeah it's you know writing a book it, it sounds as big as it is and though I've thoroughly enjoyed the process like I really have enjoyed writing and I've enjoyed the the time and the ability I guess at this point in my career to really just consolidate everything that I love sharing and I guess bring a bit more in depth what I try to do on social media into one place because I think sometimes and I'm sure you feel like this on social media you open a topic and you're like I can share about this much information like a few hundred words and you're like but that's literally like a drop in the ocean of what really needs to be said and so I really enjoyed that ability I guess to make cross links between everything that I talk about rather than it being like one day I talk about this one day I talk about this one day I talk about this so um I guess a bit like how podcasts are you know you get to go in depth and explore and I think what it's allowed me to do is is do that and it's been yeah really enjoyable and I've been amazed at the response you know I think there is a real hunger from women for more information uh, whether you know with the menopause conversation exploding as well and as scary as it is you know I'm hitting my mid-30s well I I have not hitting I've hit them I'm full (laughs) on hit them I can't say I'm hitting them I'm there and you know there's an element of you know I'm moving past the baby days and the next phase for me will be you know looking towards perimenopause and I think that those gaps for a lot of women are getting smaller from when we have babies to when actually we're hitting the perimenopause and so I guess what I really want to open up that conversation is less looking at our lives as periods and actually looking at it as a continuum of actually we're the same person throughout all these seasons. The things we do now are going to be the same things we're going to need to do then. The better we get into habits rather than being like, well, I'll just deal with that when I'm when I'm at that point. Um, really basic stuff that we can be doing now. To help us in that longer term. And actually, totally. I think when we when we think about pelvic health, it makes perfect sense that putting it in one place in one book is beneficial to us as readers because we know how interconnected your every aspect of that anatomy and physiology is so so like you say when you're doing a snapshot here and a snapshot here which is all we can do on social media we don't give that whole comprehensive picture that you desperately want to get across to people to make it kind of click and connect and make it functionable so 100 percent amazing I think the other thing that I've noticed as well is that so many people are like, oh, it's a book about pelvic floor exercises. And I'm like, I honestly couldn't write 350 pages on pelvic floor exercises, like even me who can go on and on about them. And this is where the conversation needs to shift because pelvic health is so much more than just the pelvic floor muscles. And yet, I think because our education is so basic and so just focused on the perinatal period, that's what it becomes. And that becomes our whole understanding. Um a bit like, you know, I'm sure you find with birth, for example, like everyone's focused on the birth in that one moment. But what comes before it and what, you know, is also hugely influential of what happens in the moment of birth. So it's a bit like that, though we focus on one period of life, what comes before and what goes after we're also completely connected. Um, I think in healthcare, though, and we can both say this as healthcare professionals, we love to box and we love to isolate, right? Because it means that we get really good at something. And I think the difference with pelvic health, you know, and I think this is where women struggle a lot of the time is, you know, if you've got a problem with your vagina or womb, you go to the gynecologist. If you've got a problem with your bladder that might also be related to the vagina, you go to the urogynecologist. If it's just your bladder, it's your urologist. If it's your bowel, it's the colorectal surgeon. And yet probably a woman also is struggling with constipation and prolapse symptoms and some urinary leakage. 
And yet you can't find one person who does all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where pelvic health physiotherapists, we can sometimes come in and be that overarching bird's eye view that can give women that, okay, well, let's look at the whole of you rather than just one of your organs. And I think that's the slight difference that we're starting to move. It's been there for a long time, but I think the conversation is becoming more mainstream. People are becoming more aware of it. And there's a lot of work to do still, but we're making babies. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Uh, so okay, I put a question box out on social media because I knew this would be a hot topic and <laughs> um, that people would have loads of specific questions on essentially. So I'm going to throw some at you. Is that okay? Hit me. I love it. <laughs> so first one is, is it safe to do pelvic floor exercises when you're pregnant? Yes, very much so. Like, come, we'll always have to red flag it in the sense of say, you know, if you have any complications with your cervix, or you've had any concerns about the baby, sometimes women are told bed rest, no pelvic floor exercises in a very rare occurrence. But for the average woman, for the majority of women, absolutely, yes, they are safe to do. And we actively encourage it. The, the strong research we have shows that pelvic floor exercises are very preventative if we do it with preventing problems. And again, I'd say in our healthcare system, we're not the most preventative. We're really good when there's a problem. We're very good at being reactive, but we haven't quite got all the education in to be proactive. And that's the slight difference. So yes, if you're pregnant, we strongly encourage that you're doing them from as early on as possible. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. So if you're pregnant, please be doing a power flow exercises. <laughs> Give it a go. Um, how often should you do them? Yeah, so this is a great question. It, it sort of depends what phase of life you're in and what we're trying to achieve. So in essence, when we're treating incontinence or prolapse, the general encouragement is aiming sort of for 10 of each type. And we'll talk through different types in a minute, but aiming for sort of three times a day. The, the guidelines sort of state there should be like a minimum of eight sort of reps a day um, that we should be working on. So, so we don't really know is the honest answer. We have different studies that say different things. Where I come at it from is I'm like, to be honest, with you, all of that is irrelevant if it doesn't work for you and for your life. And I think sometimes when we say to people or oh, do this something three times a day or do this every day, They're like, I just can't fit that in right now. And so they don't do anything. So I always say to women is start where you're at. You can scale up, but I'd rather you say, I'm going to commit to doing this three times a week around, you know, maybe I'm doing some other form of exercise. And in those sessions, I'm also going to do some health exercises, get that consistent. And then think, you know what, I'm actually finding this easy now because I know what I'm doing. I'll do some every day. Okay. Then I might do them twice a day. But there's no point of going in there all guns blazing, trying three times a day when actually you're so busy and juggling a lot of other things. So that's generally where I come at it, because I think we're actually setting up women a lot of the time to fail because we're giving them unrealistic goals. Um, and that's not going to get anyone anywhere. And it's that's so relatable, isn't it, to other forms of exercise in life? Like if you totally. saw your personal trainer or your coach and they said, you know, you need to exercise for an hour six times a week and you're a new mum or you're heavily yeah. pregnant and you're juggling work, like you're not going to do it, are you? And then you feel like no, you're failing. It. So it's yeah. the same, I suppose, in managing those self-expectations and actually what 100%. I, did, I put a cycle in the book which talks about this completely where I'm like basically like, set unachievable goal can't reach unachievable goal disengage because you feel like a failure 
and then the symptoms remain so then you end up stuck in this cycle of just feeling like a failure but also not getting any better and I'm like the way to cut out of that is to start setting realistic goals so you know what I say to women they're like what should I be doing and I'm like well what can you commit to because that's what you should be doing yeah. I can tell you the research until we're blue in the face but research is irrelevant if it's not possible for you yeah. and that's where I think sometimes it's really difficult to marry research with reality and then I think we can have goals but we have to start bite size and I think starting in pregnancy is a nice time to do that because realistically if you can get a bit more consistency in pregnancy when motherhood kicks in and you're juggling even more you will have that baseline Mm. sort of practice and also Claire the women that I see postnatally when they have been doing pelvic exercises in pregnancy especially if they've been assessed and really have that confidence Mm. in doing them correctly and we'll talk about that on my next question leads into that those women find it so much easier to yes. reconnect with their pelvic floor postnatally because they know what it should feel like. So when everything's a bit totally. numb and injured and swollen yes. and bruised, actually they know they know when they are getting it and it makes the whole process from a rehab perspective, I think so much yes. smoother. 100%. I mean, there's nothing more demoralizing than trying something and having no clue what you're doing and feeling like you're not getting anywhere, which I think is where pelvic floor exercises come unstuck for a lot of people. Mm. They're like, well, it's not working. I'm like, yeah, but why is it not working? Because in essence, is it just because we haven't taught you the right way? Is it because you're not thinking about all the right things? Is it because it's too one dimensional? What's the reason? There must be a reason. Not that it always works for everyone. Like that's not true either. But there's a lot of women that I do then see and they're like, oh, if I only had known that a year ago, it would have been really helpful. So, And our pelvic floor is hard, isn't it? Because if someone says exercise your bicep muscle, we can see that muscle contracting and relaxing and we can't with our pelvic floor. And and that leads into the next question, which I think is is if there could be one reason to see a specialist in pregnancy or postnatally, mm. for me, this would be the one. And that's how do I know if I'm doing my pelvic floor yeah. exercises correctly? <laughs> I'm just taking a mini pause to share some important information about your emotions after giving birth. With nine months of anticipation, the stresses of labor, the joy of meeting your new baby, and the realization that you're now a mum, and a major hormonal change that happens. The first few days after birth can be hugely emotional. It's important to be kind to yourself and to grant yourself compassion during this time. For more information on your mind and body post-birth, check out apticlub.co.uk. Yeah, it's really hard. There are things that you can do at home. So really basic things, you can get a mirror and have a look at your vulva. And what you should see when you squeeze your pelvic floor is essentially your vagina closing ever so slightly or the perineum, which is that area between the vaginal opening and your anus slightly drawing in to the body. That's a very visual feedback of, oh, yes, it's squeezing. And I can also then see it releasing and releasing is really key. So it's really important that you can see both dimensions. You can put your own finger to give a bit of like feedback. So you can put that on the perineum or just inside the vagina and see if you can squeeze around your finger and release. So those are two very kind of visual or tactile ways that you can get feedback. There are loads of devices out there as well that you can use to pop inside the vagina and they feedback. So um, there's lots of like products out there, uh, different brands. One that's quite good in pregnancy, which also then doubles up as a um, 
like a stretching device for birth is called the epino so you can it's like a balloon that you can put in so there's no electronics involved which is what sometimes women prefer in pregnancy pop it in the vagina it's a little balloon you have a dial and as you squeeze around you see the dial go up and it come back down so there's lovely visual feedback ways but as you say like you can look in a mirror you see your bicep curl job done your brain sees nicely oh yes i'm doing the right thing that's what makes it so hard because the body relies on feedback in different forms visual touch you know where we are in space so we need all of those feedbacks and you just don't get that from the pelvic floor but yes an examination by a professional who can examine your pelvic floor and say look that's a squeeze sometimes women are like oh is that what i oh, meant that's to be it. feeling yeah or that yeah. often i hear oh that's all it is because sometimes yeah, you're expecting this massive movement you're like no no it's totally. small, small. I know it's much smaller enough when you look the, the thing is we don't even know where the pelvic floor muscles are half the time and we don't know what they they even look like so when you don't even know those things it's really hard to then be like you know visualizing what what we can't even visualize it let alone see it so basic education is vital you know we've got to stop just saying to women are you doing your pelvic floor exercises and they're like sure I'm squeezing something somewhere yeah. so hoping for the best it's it's just too basic it is too basic and then just can I jump in with it with a question this is a question yeah always adding one in uh so devices are something that Mm. I'm always a little bit cautious of because I've seen women that are using you know various different devices I know I'm doing a good power for exercise because the device tells me I am actually (laughs) when we do an assessment they're doing like a great exercise with their abdominals and their yes. leg muscles, which the device isn't quite sensitive enough to yeah. recognize isn't coming from the pelvic floor. So yes, you're generating yes. some pressure, but from a completely different place. Not from the right place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think devices is a huge topic and there are two main, um, which is something I, 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 I need to film because I've had so many questions on this recently. Two device types. So you've got stimulatory devices and biofeedback devices. So stimulatory devices are where a probe goes inside the vagina and stimulates the pelvic floor it's a bit like you know when you hear those like ab stimulators where you stick on those things onto your abs right basically (laughs) like that you've got a six pack (laughs) i know i've been maybe i should try it one day um you might be disappointed i think yeah exactly (laughs) i'll leave that alone but it's basically that idea where we're stimulating the muscles to over time build their strength a biofeedback device there's no internal stimulation it's just picking up and i think that's more what you're talking about some devices are much more honed towards picking up the actual accurate pelvic floor movements so some devices have been designed with physios that have looked at the research to assess the right type of movement of the pelvic floor rather than just picking up pressure um ultimately we we don't have concrete studies that look at all these individual devices we have things that we do have research that looks at stimulatory and biofeedback devices as general. And the guidelines in the UK state that they shouldn't be used as a routine thing. They should be used on a, a case-by-case basis. So yes, there are some women that I assess and we can't get any pelvic floor activation. Then we might use a stimulatory device and they find that really helpful. And amazingly, a month or so later, they're suddenly like, yeah, I can do it myself. Wonderful. Great. There's a complete place for that in, in our practice. Um, someone like, listen, Claire, I want to do this, but I ain't going to do it. So I need something that's going to make me do it. I'm going to put it in. I commit to it like a PT yeah. and I'm going to make it happen. It keeps Great. you accountable then, doesn't it? Is exactly. That like, yeah. 
whatever works is my opinion so I always just say I sit in the gray if it works for you and you want to try it but what I don't want women to do is so they've got to fork out hundreds of pounds for something mm. when actually they could have pray, probably paid less for one assessment and actually potentially learned a bit more about their body so for me it's a balance mm. um there's a place for everything I'm not against these things I think they have a place but it's just about finding the right thing for that individual which yes. will be different yeah, such a good point. Because like you say, there is no one size fits all in women's health generally, is there? Not um, at all. As much having... as we'd like it to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. If only, if only. Awesome. Okay, doke. Um, how do I know if my pelvic floor is okay or not? <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Pregnacare from Vita Biotics. We all know how important it is to support our health when trying for a baby during pregnancy and in the postpartum. Pregnacare vitamin and mineral supplements provide advanced nutritional support for every stage of pregnancy, before, during and after. They include vitamin D and the exact levels of folic acid as recommended by the UK Department of Health. Pregnacare, expert nutritional care for pregnancy with you every step of the way. To find out more, visit www.pregnacare.com. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, in essence, if you're not symptomatic of what we would call pelvic floor dysfunction, it's probably doing pretty well. So, but that again is, I guess, simplified answer as well. So most common symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction are incontinence, though I always find that difficult to say as well, because incontinence isn't just necessarily to do with the pelvic floor muscles. There is obviously other things, because I think that makes it too simple and said, oh, just do your pelvic floor exercises and it will go away, because it doesn't always. And so it's a bit more complex than that. But simplistically, urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse. So if you're experiencing sort of heaviness in the vagina, again, not just about the pelvic floor it's about the connective tissues as well but these are under the umbrella term of pelvic floor dysfunction um these are things that we we don't want to ignore that's indicating there is some struggle going on in that department the other thing though that i think is really important to talk about is other symptoms that we may not associate so clearly with the pelvic floor things like pain with intercourse or pain with using a tampon where actually we are though often focused on this idea of pelvic floor being far too weak you've had a baby everything's far too weak Actually, we can have muscles that are too high tone. So tone being the term that refers to kind of how the tension in a muscle at any point. So we will have resting tone. You know, our muscles, they have a nice resting tone. They activate, they release. You know, that's that's kind of within the normal. What can happen in some reasons uh, for some women, for various different reasons and men and those of all genders, is that you can end up in this high tone. So actually almost what women feel like everything is far too tight and I just can't let go. Um, and that can then in lead to symptoms such as I've mentioned, like pain with intercourse. So it's any of those things, your pelvic floor might not be completely happy. Equally saying that, you know, I examine women who come, as I say, in pregnancy, they're like, there's nothing wrong with me, but I want to know more. And actually their function is still not optimal. So though they're not symptomatic at that point, would they potentially be more at risk because they actually don't have optimal function? Hard to say. I don't have a research study on that. Um, maybe we will one day. I don't know. But I just think anytime you can optimize, nothing has to be perfect. That is for sure. Mm. You know, but as you know, within your exercise realm, 
how we do things and how we function, how we move are important. And I definitely see within supporting women to prepare for birth, and there's more work going on around this, which is really exciting, is actually if you don't really know what it means to let your pelvic floor release and relax, and actually fear then kicks in and actually you're holding your pelvic floor more, could that in some way make the birth process arguably slightly harder? Again, we don't know. But I think the more we can empower women of what it is to be connected to your body, to release and let go and not be in a fearful state is really key. Yeah, it is. And, and prevention's better than cure, isn't it? Like it's just gone. 100%. And yeah. It comes down to us recognizing that actually we should be empowered to understand our yeah. own bodies and yeah and kind of what's going on and if I think back to my own pregnancy I was uh, I was one of those people that were like everything feels fine but I yeah. knew I wanted to keep running that was my sport yeah and um, I wanted to keep running in pregnancy but I was really conscious that what I didn't want to do is any kind of potential damage long term if perhaps my pelvic floor mm. did have any any kind of issue so I actually had an assessment and that then gave me the confidence to continue doing an exercise that I loved through my pregnancy totally. so that totally. although everything was fine it actually really changed my yeah. the journey of my pregnancy whereas before even if it was psychological I probably would have stopped because I felt a bit of something or I was anxious yes. about something um yeah so it's it can be a real game changer even if you know you don't find any complication actually it, totally. it can give you that reassurance as well that's it it's just that empowerment in your body you, you can't put you can't put like money on that it's just something that's very basic that we should all be entitled to but sadly it's just not there yet mm. and actually Routine. quite an easy fix yeah definitely it's not complicated in terms of fixing for women that have got you know a little bit of suboptimal function the power floor yeah it's not really hard for them to implement at that stage it's yes. the best time to catch it totally totally hopefully we've sold power for exercises for everybody <laughs> is everyone um, convinced yeah I, I mean i've definitely been doing them during this chat i don't know yeah, well i know <laughs> I think my face has that impact on people. <laughs> Claire's here. I must start squeezing my pelvic Yeah, I know. Um, this, I think, is a really interesting one. Will pelvic floor exercises help my vagina feel normal again post-birth? Yes, uh, they will help. I think there's so many things that can help our vagina feel normal. So I guess let's go with three key things. So after a vaginal delivery, there is a big stretch. Now, some of the research studies suggest that there is a, like a 2.5% stretch of some of the muscles, some of the muscles. Now that is huge, right? Huge amount of stretch of the muscles. So there is an element of if you did that to any other muscle, they need a bit of recovery time. So yes, arguably from that perspective, gently engaging the muscle, building up the strength, being able to, building up the tone, really good. The other element is if you have any tearing. So Obviously, that's going to make the vagina more sensitive, more uncomfortable. It needs to heal. Now, perfect exercises aren't going to change that scar tissue, but what they can do in the short term is help pump blood and lymph around the area, help with swelling management. Now, we don't want to be hammering 60 a day, but gentle activation can be good for that reason. Um, the other thing going on is hormonal changes. So that drop in estrogen that occurs, uh, the often drier vaginal tissues and vulval tissues. Now, pelvic floor exercises, again, are not going to change that, but they can, again, improve blood flow to the area, which can be helpful with kind of lubrication and stuff. And we see that definitely, that's more of a research study in the menopause community. Um, 
so there's lots of reasons it can be helpful aside from I guess the obvious oh we're just going to rehab um but equally if there is also dryness there and things like that they're not going to make everything feel just as it was before you might want to massage any scar tissue you might want to use a vaginal moisturizer to support that so I guess that's where yes they can massively help but they won't fix everything and therefore we might need to use other adjuncts which is where the whole that's more pelvic health conversation aside from the pelvic floor to actually make you feel more like you and that's where the whole conversation is more than the muscles it's actually wider and we have to look at everything Mm, so interesting is it but I think it's useful for women to know there is something that they can do really early on really Really simple at home you know lead in bed that will help with that recovery process and sometimes just knowing that you are actively doing something to help is really useful I think when you feel like you can't do much else in those early weeks totally and then this one which um which is really interesting from a midwife point of view I think so be good to get your take yeah pelvic floor exercises reduce my risk of tearing during birth Mm, there is some research that suggests um and I guess the understanding of why that is, I don't think I'm fully 100% clear on the exact reasoning why, but I think it does come a lot down to that understanding of your pelvic floor. Like, are we optimizing function? Are we improving your flexibility? Are we improving, again, that awareness of what it is to let go? So um, the argument is, yes, it can help with it definitely doesn't increase your risk, which I think is sometimes the fear of like, oh, my vagina is going to be so tight, it won't stretch. That is still pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, and yes, it can shorten the second stage as well, which is kind of really good, which again, I'm like, what's going on there? That's amazing. Um, so there's lots of reasons that there are positives that are outside of just reducing incontinence. Um which I guess in, should increase our incentivization. So saying that, I had a really long second stage in my first delivery and I did pelvic exercises. So, you know, <laughs> that research study, not relevant to me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and I think as well, when you think about reducing the, risk, the length of the second stage, that's mm. really, really important because we know that prolonged second stage exactly. A, can cause more pelvic floor damage because all that yes. time your baby's essentially pounding the pelvic like- floor. <laughs> yeah being stretched um b it reduces your risk of instrumental birth so things yeah. like forceps which we know can cause yeah. more significant pelvic floor damage and um, exactly. reduces the risk of cesarean section episiotomies which we know is yeah. a big old diagonal cut into your pelvic floor that causes imbalance and no one knows that though right when i meet women who've had episiotomies they're like oh i thought it's just like a bit of skin that they cut i'm like no no they're like they're literally cutting through your pelvic floor muscles which yeah. if we did that to any other muscle group in the freaking body like there is no other time we're like, we're just going to cut your hamstring and then sew it back and off you go. <laughs> yeah. What the frick? Like, how have we normalized this? It's so beyond me. And also not then educated the woman as to why maybe six weeks after cutting her pelvic floor, running isn't the best idea. Yeah. It's just bizarre to me. We would never cut a hamstring, gives it no rehab, which we never cut hamstrings unless we're doing like ACL repairs anyway, at which point that person is given the most intensive rehab program. And there's a really good protocol. Right. After episiotomy, it's like, yeah, we'll just stitch it up in the room, hope for the best, send you on your way, not tell you what's happened and then send you back. It's just barbaric and archaic to me that we are still, that I have to sit down with a woman, probably at some point postpartum to be like, do you want to know what's happened to your body? Like, do you want to just understand it? Now, I'm not saying we we wouldn't want that. Like, ultimately, women are like, yes, please birth my baby safely. Like, 
I'm all for medical intervention as needed, 100%. Episiotomies save babies, they save lives. It's just that we're not then doing the aftercare of what that inter- intervention is. And that for me is, I mean, I, what's the episiotomy rate? I don't know that off the top of my mind. I don't know if there is a national one published. No. I tried to look, I don't think there is one. No, I mean, but I'm like... But, but we know that, for example, instrumental birth is one in eight. Eight? One yeah, I was going to say one in and eight. So yeah. they pretty much routinely have episiotomies. So it's at least yeah. one in eight. And we know that 90 odd percent have some form of perineal tearing. Now that might be a first degree, which doesn't involve um, you know, any pelvic floor muscles, but the majority of women I'm meeting are two plus, yeah, two sorry, second degree onwards. It's like it's a lot of pelvic floors that are going through some form of input, mm. pairing, stitching, um, that are not being given the TLC that they really deserve. So, yes, there's a lot of work still to do in that basic education because I genuinely think, like, it's that hard line, isn't it? I'm sure you find this where you're like, if I tell you, are you going to be terrified? Um, yeah, are we going to be scaremongering? You know, it's that really hard line, isn't it? And I'm sure you find this with an antenatal education. Empowered education with informed consent can be a scary place mm. because you actually know all the options. And yet, if we don't do that, that's also a really scary place. Yeah, and really and disempowering. Really disempowering. So, yeah, I, I think I find personally, and I actually don't think there is, again, one answer. I think it depends on the individual and what they're comfortable with knowing. But I often do say, look, personally, I think you're going to rather know this so you can know what to do about it rather than us just ignoring it yeah. um, and hoping that it all doesn't happen. And then understand why the, the yes. support that you give from a pelvic floor perspective is so important because this is what totally. the journey has been for your body. And I think that's actually okay. one of the saddest things about what you just said is that we're not necessarily talking about women at six weeks. Sometimes this can be two, three years down the road oh, that you're yeah. then explaining the birth injury, which is just awful. Bizarre, isn't it? And and even like the statistics often that are sort of, I guess, expressed around it taking seven years for women to get support for this. And it's before I got to the stage of life I'm now in, I was like, I don't get that. Seven years is such a long time. Now, it will be seven years for both of my children to end up in full-time education. Mm. At that point, I actually look ahead and think that's probably the first time I'm going to actually have the most brain space I'm going to have had in a long time. Now I can tell you how many emails you get from the school. There ain't a lot of brain space because your <laughs> your emails are out of control. However, I will have two of them not at home for weeks on end, you know, for not weeks on end. They won't actually move out. But oh shame daytime out. Yeah, that's why I just drop them off see what happens. Um daytime hours. Well I'll actually get a bit more space. I could really go to an appointment more easily. Whereas now, you know, if I need to go to an appointment I've either got to give up my working time or get additional childcare to go to an appointment. Yeah. Now, if you're then thinking, well, I need a few appointments to do the rehab. I'm either trying to go after work, before work. It's really hard. And I just now fully get that. Yeah. But yes, do you know what? It takes seven years because that's the first time we come up for kind of more regularity air. And have probably <laughs> have time to actually think about how you're doing how you're doing 100% you know and um I was like because we were just talking about earlier like I've just been to the hairdresser and even when they come like you should come more regularly and you're like do you know how much it has taken for me to get get here today like the weeks of planning in advance to make sure that like my work schedule and then my husband's work schedule and I still had to take the three-year-old to the hairdresser my husband met me there took him did the school run came home (laughs) prepped the dinner now I've come home to finish work seriously like 
I can't do that every five weeks no. because I've got to do that about probably another appointment that I've also got to take or take yeah. my kids to an appointment. So there is just so much, I think, pressure on women. And yeah, it's okay to come seven years later if that's when's yeah, right for you. Late, yeah, it's, it's never too late. late. And what I was funnily thinking about the other day, because I then had two, I had literally this kind of lady who'd come 10 years postpartum was like, I hope I'm not too late. And someone came at 15 weeks pregnant being like, I hope I'm not too early. And I was like, <laughs> neither of those things exist. Like it's never too early and it's also never too late. It's just the right time for you and when work. Because I think that's mm-hmm. such an important message that we almost think there's this like perfect window to come and do pelvic floor rehab. Like start as early as you want if you can and you've got awareness and you've got access to that. Also, don't ever think that like you get into your 60s and you also can't have help because you absolutely can and I think that's the message we've got to because I think you feel like you've come out your perinatal period and you're like well then I'm done pelvic floor exercises is done for yeah, me I'm there's no hope I'm left with yeah. yeah there's no hope and it's like no no there's it's always hope you uh, made me laugh there I was at the dentist this morning with my two-year-old and the dentist is like and do you floss every day I was like no oh seriously and I, prom- I can't promise that I'm going to no literally I know I'm like Again, that's one that I always compare to pelvic floor exercises. I'm like, every time I go, they're like, oh, you need to do these like between the teeth cleaners and floss morning and evening. I'm like, I will commit to doing that three times a week yeah. because that is all I can commit to. And if that is all I can do and that's my optimal dental health, then good with that that's now. all I can do. <laughs> yeah. So that's when I say to women, I'm like, this is what a dentist would say. And this is what I'm going to do. This is what a physiotherapist is going to say. And this is what I want you to do. But yes, we need to be realistic that therefore your recovery might take a bit longer or my gums may not be as quite spankly amazing as they could be. But that's also my reality. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, definitely. Meeting yourself in the middle, isn't it? Totally. Um, my, my last question, Claire, is what is the best exercise to do for my pelvic floor? Yeah, so, well, I don't know if I think there is one. I mean, pelvic floor isolation activations are still gold standard kind of for, we still know and think that's really important. Who knows, 10 years, we may disagree. But for now, this is where we're at. So essentially, to engage your pelvic floor, we often encourage people to think about holding around the back passage, to think about holding in wind, and then bringing that forwards to the pubic bone. So thinking about squeezing forwards and then releasing. So very much what I often don't encourage is this kind of real squeeze upwards and inwards towards the head with a really forceful motion, because often that does get your tummy kicking in far more. So anus to pubic bone and then release. So those are the isolatory ones. And what we often talk about is short ones and long ones. So short being that it's just you don't hold, you just activate the muscle and release the muscle, activate the muscle and release the muscle. And then we activate hold whilst we breathe for up to 10 seconds but 10 seconds honestly feels like eternity if you've not tried that before so just start with three to five seconds and then move on um, and then release and again try and do 10 of those ideally however we also have other you know studies that evolve that you know look at just other ex- exercises like a shoulder bridge um or you know things like pilates the pelvic floor activates through movement so even there's now stuff suggesting that walking can be really good for pelvic floor dysfunction um so basically being active and isolated pelvic floor would be your baseline but also prevent constipation that's not an exercise but really important and something that I think is so much more well I say simple it's not simple because for some of us it's really hard but actually bowel health is so fundamental in our pelvic health but again I think that conversation is still super awkward to have um I think we're getting there though like when I was rereading my book on the audio book, I was like, gosh, I talk about poo a lot. I was like, 
And now my and now it's here. My kids just can't. They're just obsessed with the Bristol stool chart page. They're like every time someone comes over, like, "Mummy wrote a book and it's got a chart about poo in it." I'm like, "It's not just about that, though, guys." Yeah, you're like, but also, yeah, also the other 300 pages have really important information as well. But yes, there is a chart about poo, and if you'd like oh. to see, I'm very welcome to talk to you about. I can't it. wait to take him in a bookshop, Claire. No, oh where's my mummy's poo book? Poo book? Yeah, I'd be like. Thanks, guys. Oh, oh I don't love, love young kids. But yeah, I mean, I look, I'm, I'm delighted they even know there is a poo chart. And actually, yeah. we, we, funnily enough, my kids are very aware of their pelvic health generally. And they're like, <laughs> we need to go for the perfect poo that's like a sausage and not the hard ones and not too soft. I'm like, yes, well done, kids. Good job. Spread the word. Go oh. home, go into school and tell them that information. How the, don't yeah. talk about Pokemon maths yeah yeah exactly this is the real important information and I just just carrying on with that one just slightly I think the other thing that's important is that the best exercise for you the best exercise for me is going to be different because we're different our anatomy is different our power feels different in the same way if you know two people joined a personal trainer the best exercise for one is not going to be the best exercise for the other um so it's about treating you as an individual if you've got a really overactive tight pelvic floor you doing loads of squeezes is not going to be great not the one Um, you want to do some breathing first and some visualization work and I think what I want to say on that topic though is I still hear women being like well I've been told I've got a tight pelvic floor so I'd never do pelvic floor activations now the interesting thing is we do have some research that suggests that actually squeezing the pelvic floor maximally can actually aid relaxation so it's about again that's personalized care at the end of the day so I will when I'm examining someone we will try different things to work out what's best for that person what's best for them to connect with and you're right it's got to be individual um ultimately I think we all benefit from diaphragmatic breathing and actually visualizing the pelvic floor letting go because i'd say as a population we're not great at that i definitely see i'm seeing it more and i can't tell if it's just because we're going through a very stressful time as a world we've been through a very stressful time with the pandemic i think or i just feel like mothers are getting more stressed because we're getting three thousand emails from school and yeah and we're perfect parenting and we're you know feeding our kids organic kale and all these other things are we which, oh i must have missed that i'm not um <laughs> But I feel like we should be, you know, yeah. so there's that element of just there is so much for like pressure on us that I sometimes think what I talk about a lot in the book is the mind body connection, the pelvic floor's reactivity to everyday life yeah. that when we that's why the problem is, is when we view a time in our life in isolation and forget what came before or goes after is that it just is not true and we don't optimize what we need to because we're missing part of the picture. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, breathe important um and awareness like it's amazing how even I talk about this all the time I will stand in clinic and realize I'm I'm just literally holding my pelvic floor on like squeezing it for all dear life and then I'm like just let let it go girl like chill out um but I actively have to choose to do that it's not something my body is necessarily naturally doing easily yeah it's interesting I know when I'm having like a stressful day I feel it in my pelvic floor because like you I'm holding it and then all yeah. of a sudden I really 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 need to wee because like, yeah I can't hold that in and it's yeah. so I know for me it's so linked to that stress and suddenly totally. you realize that your jaws clench and your shoulders are up by yeah. your ears and we're all, so all the same yeah yeah so it's like there's a whole section on stress in the book because I was like it's such an important thing that we never associate we're like oh yeah I get jaw tension I get neck tension and I'm like yeah I'm pretty sure we examined your pelvic floor. Your pelvic floor is going to be somewhere up by your eyeballs as well. Yeah. Not physically can't actually, but yeah. That's where it's so much more than just your pelvic floor exercise. It's a whole lifestyle thing, isn't it? And like, ultimately, it's like, I was sharing on Instagram this week, you know, we don't brush our teeth when the fillings come. Yeah. You do it to prevent that. And therefore, 
why are we not starting education on pelvic health first like aim for the good poos have the fiber have the fluid you know celebrate that with your kids like we don't have to complicate this like my my kids don't know in-depth information but they know we're eating the vegetables because it helps their poo we're drinking the water because it helps their tummy and their well many things but also their gut and that's why we want to eat lots of different things so we keep it very basic but we empower them in their food and their drinking for for health reasons and they'll go through life knowing that now now i'm not saying they'll always be great they'll be teenagers and they'll be grumpy and they won't want to eat broccoli they don't really want to eat it now but we get through it because we talk it through and i think what i always say to women is they're like well what can i do to help my kids i'm like understand your body better and it will just naturally flow in the same way we see those studies where mothers who exercise in front of their kids their kids are more likely to engage in activity the more you kind of model these conversations or just make it completely fine to talk about these things the more that they will do it and that's how we do it it's not another thing to add to the perfect parenting list it's just another way to I guess influence through just being together and having the conversations and that's my main mission is to not add to guilt or load it's to just give top tips that you can implement every day that are not complicated but we just don't know we should be doing it yeah oh definitely Claire it makes so much sense and actually that's how we're going to change for the next generation this is it feeling like it's normal to have these totally um, and we rely on I think organizations and institutions to bring the change and I know we've talked about that from some of the work that you're doing in the NHS and kind of just NHS in general there's amazing stuff going on but we can't wait for the funding to come through and all the services to change for our generation and potentially these kids coming through now it's amazing like in the phse stuff that's in schools now around kind of like physical well-being and sexual education pelvic floor exercise is now included in that now that's really exciting but it's going to take a while for that to percolate through the layers so anything that we can do now which will only just amplify that the better we can't wait for institutionalized change to be for there to be the change we have to be the change and we can do it we don't have to overcomplicate it i truly believe that Oh, it's so powerful, Claire. Um, last thing then, if you could just share with us, with us three key tips for pre or postnatal women about pelvic health, what would you just want people to take home from this if they take nothing else? Prevent constipation. Get that bowel, fibre, fluid movement. It's really important. It puts a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor if you're straining, slash there's just a lot of poo sitting in there. Um, get to know your pelvic floor better. Know what it is to release it. Know what it is to squeeze it absolutely vital and just keep active where you can that doesn't mean five formal exercise programs a week that means getting out for a bit more walk a few more steps you know breathing relaxation a bit of yoga going to the kit park with your kids and while they're you know while they're doing something have a little walk around I used to do a few squats whilst you know on the seesaw with my daughter there's so many ways we can build in general activity the body loves movement the pelvic floor loves movement so those would be my three tips Oh, Claire, you're amazing. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. It's literally changing women's lives. Um, oh, and you if, too. if you've enjoyed listening to Claire talk today, then make sure you head to the episode description and get your hands on her Strong Foundations book. Thanks so much, Claire. Before you head off, I just need to tell you something. 68% of you who listen to my podcast have not hit the subscribe button. So can you do me a favor? If you have ever enjoyed listening and hit subscribe now, it makes a huge difference and helps me to keep bringing you episodes. The bigger the podcast, 
the bigger the guests and the more women we can reach and help. Thank you for subscribing and I look forward to chatting again soon.